This morning's reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 18, which can be found on page 1827 of the Church Bibles. Imitating Christ's humility. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for reading that uh, for us. Good morning, everybody. Um, if we've not met, my name's Tom. Uh, I've been away for a couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. And uh, we've had more sunshine in the last half an hour than we had in Devon in two weeks. So um, as we're going to see, I think the Lord's been teaching me a lot about humility. As Sarah said, this is the final um, passage in a book called Whole Life, Whole Bible, which um, as a church began way back. This is uh, number 50 in that series. So before we move on to the sermon, it's just going to be a short quiz on all 49 other passages. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, no, I'm joking. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, thank you so much. You are a humble king. You are God Almighty, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. And yet you love this world that you made so much, including each of us. You humbled yourself even to death on a cross that 
we might receive your gift of new life and love. We might know you and know your promises for us. Some of us here, Lord, will have received them long ago, some more recently, some not yet. Lord, wherever we are with you this morning, would you speak to us from your word? Send your Holy Spirit to show us what it is to follow and believe in a humble king. Pray it, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. So the theme is about humility, being humble, and what that really means. Is it fair to say that wanting to be good at being humble is one of the hardest things we can possibly do? As soon as you think you're starting to make progress and pat yourself on the back for it, you've lost already. I'm not sure that's really true, as I think we're going to see. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the Christian author, described it in, in words like these. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought, but thinking of yourself less. Now, it's a kind of clever little wordplay that takes a moment, at least for me, it takes a moment to sink in. So let me just say that again. True humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought, but thinking of yourself less. It's the difference between a false humility that tries to pretend that we're not good at the things that we're good at, and a real humility which is not about pretending we're someone we're not and don't have the gifts that we have or the skills that we have, and rather doesn't seek our own good, but seeks the good of others. It puts others, God and other people, as the ones that we want to see good things come to. And I want to come back to that again and again as we look at this passage here in Philippians chapter 2. And I think this was chosen as the final culmination of that book, that series of uh, sort of walk through the Bible, because it does two main things. One is it reminds us of the glory of Christ, the good news, the gospel of a God who made us but who loved us enough to enter into this world and reach us right down at our lowest point in order to bring God's good news of salvation to those who receive him. So it's a culmination, if you like, a summary from Paul of that good news. But what it also does, and which is the purpose of the book, is to say, well, what does that mean for us then? As well as believing and receiving that gift of Jesus, what does that look like as we live it out now? We're not just in a waiting room for heaven as Christians. We're not just to bunker down and just uh, try and avoid all contact with the world until Jesus comes again. Uh, Jesus calls us to live in a certain way in response to what he's done. And this passage, as we're going to see, is a key part of understanding what that should look like for us. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, what does that look like? So those are the two things this morning, a reminder of what Jesus has done for us, and then a call for how to live faithfully in response. First thing we see is Jesus, the humble king. Paul puts it in these words, although he may have been using an early hymn. A lot of people think that where Paul uh, quotes from here is actually a song that these early followers of Jesus might have sung in their gathering. Something in the the wording of it is different to Paul's normal way of writing, and it has a, a poetic feel to it, a rhythm to it. 
And he said that, as Moses read it for us, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Paul uses a word there from the world of, this is going to surprise you, professional wrestling. Did you realize? Not WWE, not Hulk Hogan and The Rock, but the wrestling of the time, which was a big sport 2,000 or so years ago in that part of the world around Mediterranean Greek wrestling. And Paul uses a word from that arena, which is fascinating. That word which actually English translations find quite hard to translate. So uh, you may have noticed the one on the screen and the one that was read, both NIV translations, but, but over time trying to find a way of describing it's not easy. But it does have that sense of clinging on to. Think of wrestlers holding on to each other as they're, as they're wrestling on the podium. And the word that Paul uses is the word for that. Something to cling on to, something to hold on to tightly. That Jesus didn't consider his status as God, one with the Father in heaven and in glory, as something to cling on to. But he gave it up. He had everything. He is everything. He is uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, enjoying the glory and the worship of heaven. And yet he didn't cling on to it. He laid it down. Paul goes on, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. From the heights of heaven, the glory of who God is, Jesus laid that down in order to meet us at our very worst. He didn't say, Look, you're the ones who've turned away. You're the ones who've said no to me. You're the ones who've denied that I even exist, your creator. Let's meet halfway. No, he came all the way to the very bottom, the worst of what humanity had to offer, in order to meet us there, to lift us back. He humbled himself to death, Paul says, even death on a cross. Now, I think that often we... Uh, hear that and think about, yes, just how painful that death must have been. And and it was. It was horrific. When you die uh, executed on a cross, you die from suffocation. Your body falls and hangs on the nails and you can't breathe and you have to lift yourself up to take a breath against the nails through your hands, your feet. And having to quickly grasp the breath you fall back down again and keep going until your body has no strength left in it to lift you that final time it is a brutally horrifically designed instrument of torture so understandably we hear about Jesus humbling himself to death even death on a cross and we think wow Lord you humble yourself so far that you were prepared to take on such a painful death for us But I'm not entirely convinced that that's Paul's point. That what he has in mind primarily is not the pain of the cross. It's the shame of the cross. Back in Deuteronomy, which Paul would have been very familiar with as a very learned Jewish man, Deuteronomy says, cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. 
to die in that way for a Jewish man is not just brutally painful. It's horrendously shameful. It's a form of death which became associated with being cut off from God. God cannot love someone if he allows them to die in that way. There is a shame attached to it as well as great pain. So when Paul says that Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross, he's not only talking about the pain. He's remembering the shame that Jesus bore for us. That's how far he chose to come. That's how far he went to love you and me. But therefore, Paul says... And Paul's therefore are some of the most wonderful words in the Bible. Um, There's that little cheesy thing, isn't there? Whenever you see a therefore, you've got to ask what's it there for. Um, Paul uses them a lot. And he uses them very powerfully. You can read, in fact, if you read through the letter of Romans, you'll get 11 chapters before you then get a therefore. Therefore, Paul says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself to the lowest of lows. He chose the pain and the shame of the cross to bring salvation to the very people who put him there. And therefore, the Father has highly exalted him as the name above all names in glory in heaven. From the heights of heaven to the lowest of lows, rescuing a people who turn their back on him, who now simply by putting our faith in him, he lifts with him to the heights and glories of heaven. Therefore, God has exalted him. That is what Jesus has done. He is our humble king. He didn't think less of himself than he ought. He didn't deny who he was. When people declared who he was, he accepted it. He received it. He knew he was the son of God. He knew what he deserved. He didn't get a thank, thank the Lord we didn't get a British Jesus. <laughs> who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> he knew who he was. Jesus' humility, which took him to the cross, was not thinking less of himself. It was that he thought of himself less and thought of us more. That's real humility. Putting others first, even and perhaps especially when they don't deserve it. Jesus is our humble king. And that is wonderful great news. That is the heart of the gospel, that when we had sinned and fallen, Jesus reached us at our lowest place, took that pain, that punishment, that shame on himself, so that all we need to do is believe and trust that he's done it, and he will bring his forgiveness and share his new life and pour out his Holy Spirit and give us the promise of eternity and new life with him now. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But there's a little sentence right at the start of that passage, which I skipped over. And I want to go back to. Because that in itself is wonderful, blessed, glorious good news. And it's all about Jesus. And the gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's all about what he's done. But, therefore, there is an imperative for us for how we live in response. 
And it's right there at the very beginning of that little passage from Paul. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's like this wonderful picture and portrait of what Jesus has done. And we're, I'm there, I'm clapping, and I'm, yes, high-fiving in heaven. And thank you, Lord, for all these amazing things you've done. And then Paul drops that on you and says, yeah, so therefore, so should you. And that's where it gets a lot harder. In fact, that's something that we cannot do for ourselves. As hard as we might try, as loving as we might be, as generous and kind as we can, we need God's help to have that same attitude. We don't have to do what Jesus has done. He's done it once and for all. That sacrifice on the cross, that was it. That was the sacrifice which frees us from our sin and gives us new life. Even when we share communion, as we will do in a moment, we are remembering and participating in what he has already done. We don't earn our way into God's good books. But because of what Jesus has done, we are to live in a certain way. And the attitude, the heart, the hope that God has for us is that we will more and more take on that same heart of humility. Remember, not thinking less of ourselves than we ought, but thinking of ourselves less. And it's not easy. We need God's help to be able to do that. The best way is to keep reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. To keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. To say to ourselves, this is who Jesus is. This is how much he loved me. This is how far he had to come to rescue me. I know what he's had to pay for in my life, the sins of my heart. And yet he did. And so that should keep me humble. It should keep us humble. But it's not easy. And Paul goes on then, having then described what Jesus has done from verse 12, to sort of picture what that looks like. Therefore, my dear friends, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. It is God who does it. But we need to open our heart to him. And then he gets very practical. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Do everything without complaining, or as our other translation said, grumbling or arguing. I think Paul had met Christians. I think Paul knew what his heart was like, and he certainly knows what mine is like. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. Doesn't mean we have to accept everything. It's not the same as valid criticism or challenge to uh, things which aren't right. If a church is going off the rails from following God's word, then that is something to complain about. That is something to, to highlight and to call back to the truth of who God is. Similarly, if there are cultures or attitudes within the church leadership that are wrong or are unhealthy, then they should be called out. Too many, too many horrible things have happened in churches because uh, there's been an attitude or a culture that we can't complain or argue with the church leadership. We absolutely must when it is right. What Paul is getting at here is much more that sense of grumbling, grumbles. And I think grumbles come when we're thinking more of ourselves and less of others. 
Grumble is the reaction of a heart that basically wants what we want for ourselves. And so I think that what Paul is calling us to is that sense of humility that puts others first. That we don't grumble if we see others doing the things that we would like to do. But actually we're just delighted to see God at work. We want others to flourish. We want others to discover their gifts. We want others to be able to serve. And of course, by extension, that means that they will think the same of us. And then together we grow and we do use our gifts and we do serve and we do develop and all those things. But it comes from an attitude of putting each other first rather than to trying to put ourselves forward first. It's humility, like Christ, of not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And then Paul says you'll shine like stars in the universe. And how true that is. In a world that loves a bit of complaining, a little bit of grumbling. Just read online reviews of anything and you'll see how much the world loves a good complaint. Well, if we can show that kind of humility which puts others first, which shows grace when things go wrong, that just wants to see others flourishing and developing and growing and all those things, then actually we'll shine, we'll stand out. Unfortunately, too often as Christians, we end up with a reputation of being a bit holier than thou. I don't know, sometimes it may be deserved, sometimes it might not be, but it's often the reputation that we have. We think of ourselves somehow as better than other people, but the whole point of the gospel is that we're not. The church is not a club for perfect people. It's a hospital for the sick. One person put it to me is, we're just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves than we ought, but thinking of ourselves less. And the way to do it is to keep reminding ourselves of the humble king that we follow, who gave up the heights of heaven in order to meet us, frankly, in the gutter, that he might grab us, lift us, and take us to be with him, because he loves us so much. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, words can never do justice to all that you've done for us. Such is your love for a world that had turned away from you, that you humbled yourself to death and even death on a cross. Lord, would you show us for the first time or again just how much you gave up in order to bring your love and your salvation, your rescue to us. And Lord, as we receive that and accept it, help us to live it out. Would you be at work in our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus in our attitude towards others? Humble. Loving. Generous. Putting others first. But we really need your help to do that. So please would you help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.